Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to How to Cope. Every episode, writer Becky Howard, that's me, and my friend psychotherapist Lucy Clyde will be talking about how we can look after our mental health during the coronavirus crisis and beyond. Because whatever type of pandemic you're having, it's hard on all of us. So let's try and get through it the best way we can by talking. This week, we're talking to Becky Barnes, audience editor at HuffPost UK. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Becky. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I've been better. Yeah, no, me too. It's been a, it's, it's been a tough week, right? Yeah, it's yeah. I just not. I'm not. You know what? I'm not loving this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, that. Lucy, I've got this kind of pit in. You know, this deep sense of dread in the pit of my stomach, and I don't know quite what to do with it. I can't imagine why. <laughs> You would have that, Becky. I can't imagine why, in the face of spiralling national disaster, you would feel such a gnawing sense of dread. Now, Mm. I am am right there with you. It's been tough, right? Yeah, it really has. So today we're going to speak to Becky Barnes, who Mm. is a journalist, um, audience editor for the Huffington Post. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to Becky. She's another one of our guests that I've never met. Um, so it'll be really interesting to meet her digitally and find yes. out what she's got to say. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, that's my duvet tent. I'm in a duvet tent. Oh, wow. It's a baffle, and sometimes it sort of does that. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm in a suitcase cupboard, in case you um, were wondering. <laughs> so the glamour, the glamour yeah. is unrelenting over here, Becky. It really is. All right. Well, so I'd better introduce you. because so, um, so today we've got with us Becky Barnes, who is the audience editor at the Huffington Post. Um, and I think it's probably best that if you, Becky, explain um, what the Huff Post is for, I'm sure, the like two people that don't know it. Um, and what your job actually means. Sure. So um, HuffPost UK is, the well, it's the UK edition of the um, global HuffPost brand. And um, we're a team um, of UK journalists, um, usually based usually based in an office in London, but obviously not. 
um, for most of this year. And um, we've got teams who cover news, politics, life, entertainment. Um, we have an opinion section, um, a personal section and a video team. Um, and my job, yeah, my job is on the audience team. Um, our role is a bit more um, behind the scenes, but it's kind of how our journalism reaches our audience. Our audience team covers um, the front page, um, third party relationships, so stuff like Apple News and Update, all of our social media. And and um, the part that I really like is um, that using our data to commission what we're covering and um I'm really interested to find it from your perspective sort of casting your mind back to to March when everything hit really um in your job or at, at HuffPost what did you notice did you notice a big shift in what people were wanting to read about when the pandemic struck and we all went into lockdown yeah yeah there was um a lot of publishers, including HuffPost, saw what they call a, corona, a, a coronavirus bump in traffic. So, um, yeah, what people were really wanting to know is what was going on, how were they affected, um, what the rules are. And they really just wanted um, somebody to make sense of the information that we were being given. So at HuffPost, we were just trying to um, inform our audience without without scaremongering them um as many yeah. kind of um yes. a lot of yeah a lot of a lot of publishers i'd say maybe go down a more kind of sensationalist sensationalist route but we really wanted to balance the kind of mental health of our readers with you know the need to be informed so so from from my perspective we're just really thinking about what we're sending alerts onto people's phones because that comes under the audience mm -hmm. team remit and and balancing the essential hard news that people did need to know um but breaking it down with like helpful explainers and and yeah I think it just helped that we were all living it as well and a lot of kind of ideas I mean I might I've said that we use data to inform decisions which we do but what's quite unique with what we've gone through is that everyone's going through it and everyone will come up with ideas through through chats of what we're experiencing so if someone was like oh I'm not sure what that term means or something like that then we could go actually yeah yeah people need to know that because I need to know that yeah definitely it's a very different working environment isn't it reporting on something that you're experiencing at the same time because normally I, I suspect that you know um you know you're you're reporting about stuff that you aren't directly experiencing in the direct in, in the here and now right in real time there's a little bit of distance or a little bit of analysis or a little bit of research there's something that distances you between you personally and the material that you are writing about whereas you don't you don't have that right now do you it's yeah exactly and you know we had people on the team who were pregnant, people who have, you know, family working for the NHS, people who have conditions where they might need to shield or family members. So, so yeah, there was, in a way, there was a sense of like, we're all in this together. Um, but it was very, very mm -hmm. real. So it was quite difficult to separate 
work and life and obviously you know people might say oh well you're a journalist you sign up for the news cycle or whatever but it was quite a unique experience of of how relentless Becky no one signed up for this (laughs) nobody signed up for this nobody voluntarily has signed up for trying to keep their shit together during a massive pandemic there's a lot there's a real tendency with a lot of people to go well I'm not in the front line so it's okay and actually no we're all we're all impacted we're all affected and I think actually people who are kind of quite close to data about this stuff are also very, very, very impacted. From a selfish um, perspective, it was quite relentless, have, like working every day. And obviously, this, it can be unpredictable when breaking news is going to come. And, and, you know, we, we have to be ready at any time for anything. But I found it really exhausting um, working through through the day and then there being a press conference right at the end <laughs> yeah with the government yeah. doing it yeah. and then oh, every single bloody day a lot of waffle there to kind of uh pick apart and try and make sense of it ourselves what it meant for us but then also what does it mean for our readers and what information um are we giving them so yeah it was very it was very tough <laughs> And I thought it was interesting that you said, like, you know, you've got this like role to consider of like basically not stressing people out too much with how you frame stuff. So did you also feel like you had a role in trying to help or a wider role, you know, for the whole team at HuffPost had a a bigger role to play in, in trying to help people's mental health as the pandemic unfolded? And if so, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah, we definitely um, a big part of our kind of editorial mission is is um, to speak openly about mental health and to try and support people and 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 be kind of here to help and that stretches right across from explainers to to how um we help people with their mental health so um we had the balance of the factual reporting from news and politics but then we've got a brilliant life team who ran um they ran a project called how are you feeling which we're still using now where they did a survey and really got people's responses about how they how how they're feeling and the commissioning on the life on our life section was really helpful for me so so there'd be stuff like we're all feeling scared scared and anxious right now it's okay lots of talking to therapists um lots of different voices it was it was brutal and I don't think we're out of that so that whole responding to the to the you know the collective emotions is really important isn't it definitely yeah but also the kind of positive things that can also help our mental health so the joys of the small things we've rediscovered in lockdown um I think we, there was a piece called 99 things we can't wait to do when this is all over. I think we're <laughs> I don't yeah. know, I'm thinking that it was going to be have, over. Have you, done, have you done any of those yet? If you don't, <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Um, stuff like getting a gel manicure, <laughs> getting a haircut. Look, look. Three sets of gel manicures right here. It's brilliant. Well done. Nice. nice. <laughs> I never realised how, how important it was until I couldn't have it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the like most I think personally some of them there's been like these weird emotional things, but one of the most emotional moments for me was just before they're about to announce lockdown and like one of my religious things that I do is really go and get like gel manicures and I 
just went to get them removed just the, yeah. the lockdown <laughs> without getting fresh without getting fresh color and it was you know we were we were social distancing already and aware of these kind of things mm. but my lovely um the lady who does my nails like just gave my hand a squeeze and I was like you're gonna be okay and I just felt really emotional oh, because oh obviously gosh. you know I'm I'm curious about how given your position given where you are kind of which is very buried in the stories and the information and sort of um I suppose you're like a filter aren't you, you kind of make it palatable for the rest of us um you know how that's impacted on you um so I'm someone who's really open about my mental health anyway Mm -hmm. and over the years um without without a global pandemic have like real ups ups and downs in my life I've had periods um of being on antidepressants um Mm -hmm. I've been diagnosed with depression anxiety like emotional instability I've had lots of therapy I've been very lucky to have lots of therapy Um, glad to hear it (laughs) um but then when there was this situation yeah it was a lot because everyone was feeling so anxious and there was so much information and uncertainty um I would spend like quite a few working days where I'd just be a bit overwhelmed and like crying but just keeping going um and yeah and then just days where I really needed to take a few breaks and um my colleague's have been absolutely amazing my um my employer is is brilliant and we've been encouraged to always take breaks and ask for help which is you know so so That's so important yeah. yeah um and i'd say that despite having ups and downs through my life um i think some of 2020 has been the worst kind of mental health i've ever experienced the combination of like just that constant feeling of of uncertainty and the onslaught of information and then you know worried about your friends my mum's over 70 so like so many other people worried for a relative other relatives and my sister is an intensive care nurse so she was with the 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 covid patients in 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 the big london hospital um and it sounds to me like you you obviously like like everyone we all had to to deal with so much of this all at once how much was it did it make it more difficult by the fact that you is it right you're you're living on your own so you had lockdown on your own and not having somebody else in the house with you to offload to Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really important factor of of twenty twenty is is the fact that I'm someone one of yeah the people living on their own, and I mean I made the choice to live on my own, um, a single girl living in London, like with yeah. a really full social life, wonderful friends, love going to the theatre, um, the freedom. <laughs> it's all good for 2019 yeah. fabulous yeah and uh, you know pop go swimming after work go to yoga yeah. classes but then um the choice to live on my own was really reliant on that full and rich life which meant that I might have a small flat with no garden but that didn't matter because my life was um 
was busy and full but the prospect mm. of not being allowed to to do anything not being allowed to go to work and see my lovely colleagues or just have the hustle and bustle of a routine which is so essential for people who suffer with their mental health a lot of people as we know it really really helps to have a routine yeah that felt really really unbearable um and to, I'm a very I'm very much like a person who who likes hugging their friends and yeah to think of not not being able to hug people um I think hit me the most and, and, and that I remember, was incredibly hard I've heard that so much it sort of sometimes it seems to be the thing that seems to bother people the absolute most it's like you can people can cope with you know not going to yoga and you know okay so I won't go to a movie for a few months and all this kind of stuff you know it's it, it seems to be much easier to let that stuff go but the hugging is something that we've really a lot of people have myself included by the way have absolutely fixated on yeah I'm really lucky that I live near my sister and her her two children who I call my nibblings as a collective name for me yeah yeah being an auntie is just like one of my favorite things in life um and to think that I wasn't allowed to mix with them was really shit yes (laughs) um yeah and I kind of feel like looking back I feel like the government in in whatever it was trying to do really forgot about people who live on their own and who are single because I feel like there was definite potential for people to form support bubbles and if I I was Mm. was very stringent in following all the rules at the start and if I would do it again I I would form a support bubble like much earlier because for my mental health it was really really not good to to not have that support that's incredibly that's a really good kind of takeaway isn't it because you know in case we do end up in this it's could be fairly likely but actually something that Lucy and I talked about quite a lot was the fact that your experience of the pandemic was very much dictated by your home setup Mm. um you know so the difference between having a garden and not having a garden um having people in the house or not having having kids or not having kids that really dictated that basically the flavor of the pandemic that you ended up with um so how you know bearing in mind that you were kind of dealing with you know enforced solitude what got you through that yeah so I'd also say that I've never wanted a partner more and I've never wanted children less (laughs) (laughs) during that time would you care to elaborate on that please I really need to know more about your thinking there Well, well I just um you know being on your own like I'm very much someone who's who's celebrate single life um and is happy to do my own thing and be independent but just during lockdown I really would have loved like someone to cook for me or make um a cup of tea just on those days when you feel really crap like maybe you know in in real life your friend can come around or you can go and see a friend or go for a a walk which you could do but it just felt it didn't feel the same Mm. (laughs) um and then just in terms of um, I'm still like open as to whether I'll have kids in the future but I just didn't envy people with kids at <laughs> all um, just you know especially pe- like people without gardens I don't have a garden and I felt a bit sorry for myself but families without gardens or people having to homeschool or 
just uh, like some of my colleagues who were trying to work from home and and then having their kids in the background like I I don't know I think that I've got a lot of respect for them I think I think we all depending on what your setup was we all were admiring of the opposite weren't we so like you know Lucy and I have kids so we were kind of going through that fresh hell but I was sort of thinking, God, you know, I really admire the people who are doing this on their own yeah. and dealing with the yeah. the solitude. And like like you're saying, you're kind of going, oh, thank God I didn't have kids in the house because I can't imagine having to like do that. So I think I think it actually did did maybe it did kind of force a bit more of an empathy for each other. Yeah, definitely. I feel I feel so much more empathy towards other people, and I do feel. Um, a collective kindness from other people as well be it at work or, or or kind of just people on the street it was it was really nice kind of when I did go out and about how friendly people were because we were we were we are in it all together and especially at that time did you feel did you feel that Becky I mean because because I think you know empathy is amazing and wonderful and my god will save us all and also in the darker in our darker moments doesn't always reach us it really did help to have the 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 kindness of strangers and just i just start i I live in a flat like an ex-council flat block Mm. with about 200 flats Mm. and since and this before this year i didn't know anyone and i now like know quite a few of the neighbors um, I go on, I go on walks with one of the neighbours now, and I do feel there was definitely um, a lot of empathy and kindness. But that doesn't take away from feeling like really annoyed at people who are having big parties or gatherings or wearing their masks <laughs> below their nose. <laughs> yeah. But that, no, that's never exceptional. But to be fair, Becky, that is exceptionally aggravating. I mean, that's not just <laughs> the whole mask below the nose thing. Why? Did you see that cartoon that someone shared on Twitter? And it was quite a cheeky cartoon where they were saying, and it was basically like, if you wear your mask across your mouth, that's basically, and they did a drawing of someone wearing a pair of pants with their willy flopping over the top. <laughs> <laughs> like, basically, you're doing that. <laughs> it's just pointless yeah but also the problem with that cartoon becky is once you've uns- once you've seen it oh you can't oh, unsee it and i have to go to work on the tube so i'm just this is makes the commute quite dramatic it has it's anyway i'm getting i'm going way off into discussing like pornographic cartoon territory now um but okay so in terms of in terms of having got through, you know, we all kind of came out of this really intense lockdown period. Did you? So you you made a big decision, didn't you, during that time yeah. um, to stop drinking alcohol? Yeah. So um, on my kind of looking inward mental health journey over the years, I've really noticed, um, especially in my thirties, how much of an impact alcohol has on my mood. Obviously, it's a depressant, um, mm. and so. I think when lockdown happened and there was loads of Zoom drinks, I was like, I can either get in loads of wine and gin and finish it on my own and feel even worse, Mm. or I Mm. can use the opportunity of being on my own to um, explore all the amazing, like, non-alcoholic options there are and treat myself and and I won't feel left out if I'm having non 
alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic beers in, in, in a wine glass at home. And no one even will know unless I tell them. This is what I, I actually sort of snuck this in, in a couple of times when when we were in that mad Zoom drink phase where it was just everyone was just obsessed with trying to do that all the time. <laughs> I remember I did that a few times because it was like, I don't really want to have a drink right now, but mm. I'll, I'll enter into the spirit of things and people will think I'm having a, a beer or whatever, but it's a non-alcoholic one. But it was, there was and a it, real kind of, it was real mission drinking, that stuff. It wasn't like, <laughs> isn't this nice? It was like, ah, I can't cope and I need to there was a, there was it was quite a, obliterating I think the level of drinking that was happening at the beginning that you know that's that that was a really really smart move of you to kind of to see that thank you yeah um I, I kind of feel like I'd been building towards it and then lockdown just forced me to actually do it and then lockdown was so long that I'd actually not had alcohol for ages and I just didn't have a hangover ever and you know I had enough struggles with ups and downs to then add something that make could make me feel so so down um and I'm not saying I've given it up forever but um because I just think that puts a lot of pressure on myself but um as we came out of lockdown I, I entered social situations and I and and I'd be like oh actually I haven't um haven't actually drunk through lockdown so I might just uh not drink today and it was a lot easier and and I think it's becoming a bit more kind of socially acceptable because there is a lot of um pressure from other people not and I don't even mean it but but people just there's an expectation that that um you need to drink to have a good time my experience has been I think it's usually about the other person when other people get cross at you or kind of go come on it's because if you don't drink they have to think about their own drinking yeah people feel judged yeah. and insecure and suddenly realize that maybe they are drinking not entirely from a happy place but they're running from something or chasing something that isn't you know very very nice no I I mean and I think you know people feel judged by your abstinence and it's such a shame actually because you know very often that's a really 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 smart choice to to lay off the boots you know short or long term it's it's just a really really smart thing to do for your mental health particularly under times of stress which is when we often tend to hit it the hardest is the time when we actually need to stop the most yeah I find um if anyone's looking for kind of inspiration I find club soda really really helpful and that is an organization that um that really gives advice on like how to approach situations where your friends might expect you to drink and provides a supportive community of other like-minded people and mm. and kind of is the first to know about all the new fantastic non-alcohol options and gins mm. and beers so whatever whatever people fancy rather than just a lime and soda <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, know, right? I just want to pre- i just want to show you this i'm showing becky a picture of i'm actually drinking a bex blue nice which is my non-alcoholic drink of choice <laughs> Ever since I started drinking, I was pregnant a long, long time ago. Um, but yeah, I'm quite loyal to Bex Blue, even though I know it's it's a, it's a bit like it's a bit old fashioned now in the kind of cool new non-alcoholic kids gang. Yeah. It's like the granddad. <laughs> but it also has your name in the label, Becky. So, you know, like, you know it's like it's yours, right? It's made for you. So, yeah. exactly. Am, exactly. I, am I right in thinking also, um, oh, Becky, Becky Barnes, this, this, this one, this time. Um, Becky. Are, are you, Becky B, yes. Are you, am I right in thinking there was, you, you also found tracking your menstrual cycle very helpful. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'd, um, so I'd really noticed, um, a pattern with my ups and downs with my mental health um 
and yeah I'd done a, a lot of reading mm. around tracking your period and and your cycle um but when but obviously it's like hard to keep on top of something like that when you're so busy with with normal life but when lockdown happened I continued to track my mood um and my cycle and how I was feeling and learn more about the different phases because I'd totally forgotten biology from school <laughs> and yeah. Um, <laughs> and um yeah and I and I and I noticed that the times that I was really struggling um with these really difficult desperate feelings and sometimes even feeling suicidal and then a few days later feeling okay and being really disorientated by it um I looked into this condition more that my friend has um has been battling for for a while and that's um PMDD which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder and through tracking my period and my mood um and then talking to a couple of medical professionals uh, I was really lucky to get a diagnosis for that. Could you explain what sort of in layman's terms what is PMDD because when you when you mentioned it in your email I was thinking actually that's the first thing I've first time I actually heard of it which sounds awful but yeah. can you just explain what it is sure so um in the luteal phase which is in the, up to a couple of weeks before um the bleeding phase of your cycle um where a lot of us might experience pms some women um experience um a much more kind of extreme version of um pms and i hope i'm advocating correctly because it's still it's still all um new to me but it just means that you can feel um i mean people's experiences are different but for me um it means feeling desperate exhausted um like having suicidal thoughts um feeling really crap about my body image and then also like the physical things as in line with like our cycles so like wanting to eat loads feeling really really exhausted um mood swings um feeling extra anxious um finding things like way more overwhelming mm -hmm. um so it's actually like it's quite a, it's it's more common and there's probably lots of people um who who have got this and who are un, haven't been diagnosed but for me um the the treatment of of taking these antidepressants and the lead up and just being aware of it and tracking it and preparing and being like just reminding myself the self-care being kind to myself getting enough sleep especially in those in those times just really really has been like transformational which is amazing does that help in that way to know that it's because you're going through that phase in your cycle yeah definitely actually mm -hmm. with um this diagnosis it um, it really makes sense that it's t all to do with my period and I've, I'm doing as much reading around it as possible and learning more and and I think it's yeah so so important because I think even other mental health conditions you can feel um, anyone anyone who mens menstruates um, in their luteal phase can feel way more vulnerable um so it's just really really helpful for me and might be helpful to other people who have periods as well I mean I think I have to say that uh, you know the impact of our cycle on our mental health is is so 
under so so under researched and there is so little information in it i i'm a psychotherapist i trained for six years to do this at not one point was this covered not once god really? not once and so things around women's mental health i mean it wasn't even kind of mentioned that women's mental health can be affected by their cycles having said that i did train a while ago now so you know i i i i wouldn't want to comment on what's being taught these days but i just i i think it's very telling that that just didn't come up once we're in this kind of i mean this i don't know i don't know whether to call it it's not really second lockdown because it's so fractured and different depending on where you live but it's 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 the second wave of shit. I don't know how, how else to kind of call it. Oh, it's just God. still crap. And yeah. and it's getting crapper by the day. Um, and we don't really think that it's going to get any better until next year in terms of COVID, in terms of actual big changes, positive changes in um, from a national point of view. What coping strategies, or do you have any, that you've been able to put into place to kind of get you through the next few months, having gone through the intense period we all did back in the spring? I think um, my coping strategies, whenever things, whenever shit hits the fan, is to just really return to the basics and not put too much expectation on myself. Um, so for me, it's really important that I go outside every day because if I don't, I can go in... I can really spiral down with. Um, so getting out, getting fresh air, um, eating nice food that makes me feel good, um, getting enough sleep, being in contact with friends, being there for other people and asking for help my, myself. There's a really important thing in there of, of really, really being your own best friend and treating yourself with with the kindness that you would a best friend and and uh just treating yourself with loads of care and that is a massive privilege I have as someone on their own because I don't have I don't have any children um where I need to give them a lot of time like I can prioritize but I have to say you know Becky you're quite right children do not treat you like their own best friend oh my god <laughs> Oh my word! No, that you is, don't uh, get that from them. This is very true. No. I, love, I love them very much, but no. yeah, you don't. You don't get the best friend care. No, you really uh, don't. You get taken for granted. You do. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up there. Um, and I think you've just, I, I feel like you've been like the same way we all have come, you know, to be honest, we've all been through this insane roller coaster. But I feel like you're you're someone who's actually taken a huge amount from it and you've you've learned a lot and you've also applied a lot you haven't just kind of know, known that stuff and gone oh but I'm gonna ignore it and carry on as I was mm. you've made a lot of really positive changes um in your life would you say would you agree I have learned so much about myself from this situation I've learned what like just stripping everything back um and being forced to be on my own as well um has really helped me identify like what makes me happy and what doesn't and by no means does that mean that I've got it sorted but I really have a clear idea of of how to get through like for example the next lockdown and 
and um if if you know whatever shape or form that takes but yeah I feel it's been quite amazing and I feel um I've learned so much about myself and I feel really really positive even even though things might look um bleak sometimes um yeah. things yeah things are okay <laughs> So thank you so much, Becky. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Um, at the end of what I'm sure is a very long day for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's really exciting to to be a podcast guest, and and um, it's great the work you're doing. And not, I, I think I feel a bit jealous that we didn't think of the idea at half post that. Um, <laughs> that it's, um, That's all right. Um, yeah. And it just shows like what, how many kind of good things can come out of a really shitty year. So, yeah. Um, mm, yeah, so yeah, thanks for all you're doing. Yeah, well, pleasure. Like it's a joy to meet you. And you, right. maybe yeah. we'll meet in real life one day. Wouldn't that be nice? We're going to tell managers, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. All right, well, um, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to How to Cope with Becky Howard and Lucy Clyde. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review, like and subscribe. It makes a huge difference and we really appreciate it. The music is Cold Funk by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons licence. You can follow us on Twitter too at, at cope underscore podcast. Thanks again and check in soon for the next episode of How to Cope. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.